Hello, world. Welcome to a very special edition of Golf Subpar. Colton Ocean, Drew Stoltz, coming to you from very different locations this week. I'm actually out in San Francisco getting ready for the PGA Championship at TPC Harding Park. But my man, the sleazy man, is in studio. Sleaze, how we doing? Holding it down in the studio, dude. Feels weird. Feels weird to be in here without you and looking at you on the screen right now. Uh, but we're making do. And uh, looking forward to getting into this thing with the PGA. How about this, dude? 54 weeks since we last got to have major championship week. 54 weeks since a major. So I'm, I'm gassed up. I'm fired up. And uh, looking forward to getting into it. I know. And we will get into that in a lot more. But first, got to touch on this WGC FedEx, FedEx St. Jude Invitational. Won by our guy, Justin Thomas, last week. Uh, he won by three, but it was a lot closer than that. Yeah, it didn't feel like a three-shot win, but uh, some things happened down the stretch. And he looks – I mean, he's one of those guys I feel like there, there's zero weaknesses. I feel like there's very few guys like that on the PGA Tour where you can't really identify one thing in their golf game that's not elite. And Justin Thomas is that. I think he is rightfully uh, – is he back at world number one right now? Wasn't it a two-week stretch there for John Rahm and now it's JT? Yeah, so he's back. week is world number one, and now Justin Thomas is back in the top spot, and he is – the third fastest in PGA Tour history to 13 wins behind Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus. And like you said, the man has no weaknesses. Yesterday, he, or sorry, on Sunday, he drove it about as poor as I've ever seen him drive it coming down the stretch. But his short game absolutely bailed him out. The, first off, the break he got on 15 when it went through the tree and ended up left of the creek, which I've never seen anyone over there in all the years I've played there and watched there. And then the, the pitch shot on 16 from 60 yards when he had to land it on the down slope and got it to check up and down on 17, and the up and down on 18, knowing he only had a one-shot lead and didn't know Brooks hit it in the water behind him was just <laughs> unbelievable because we saw Jason Day just a couple minutes before that chip it all the way across the green from that exact same spot. Yeah, his short game looks unbelievable, so much better than it did when he first came out on tour, as does his like wedge play just from like 120 yards and in and stuff like that. But that up and down on 18, you kind of expected the drive to, to not challenge the left side, I guess, on 18. But I was a little surprised that it was over where the grandstands would have been uh, had there been grandstands there. And then that miss that he hit it out there right, that chip shot. He doesn't get enough credit for his hands around the green because he hit a lot of shots that week that looked so good. And I thought it was – I want to get your take on this because obviously – our guy Bones took the, took over the bag this week for JT, and then sure enough, what happens? They get in the final round with uh, his old boss, Mr. Philly Mickelson. What do you think that, like, just the vibe of that group was like between the, the four of them? Because they're all friends, but also then you have the whole, you know, former boss-caddy relationship going on. Yeah, I was interesting to see if there was going to be much talking between Bones and Phil, and, you know, I didn't get to see it on TV. They didn't show it, but I heard from some, some reports on Twitter and stuff that there wasn't much they – didn't, they didn't engage very much. Um, I have yet to hear from Bones or anything how it was, but dude, congratulations to Bones coming out on sh like a very short notice. I think he got the call Monday night and found out Jimmy Johnson, Justin Thomas's regular caddy, wasn't going to be able to make it. Bones flies in. He's caddy for Justin before, goes out and, and gets a W playing alongside Phil, which was was awesome to see. Um, I mean, Bones is on a little bit of a heater. Finished finished third with Matthew yeah. Fitzpatrick at Memorial, and then comes out and wins with Justin Thomas. Um, obviously, the man knows what he's doing. Yeah, you want to win, put Booby in. But Booby is Bones right now. He's on a nice little run, and I know he's going to have the bag here for a period of time going forward. Eight, did you see this relationship coming? Did you know that, like, if Jimmy Johnson wasn't able to go, that Bones would have been the guy? And, like, do you see this potentially becoming a full-time gig, a full-time relationship between Bones and JT? No, it's not. Uh, Justin is very loyal to his man, Jimmy Johnson, and once Jimmy's healthy, he'll be back on the bag. They've had an incredible 
run together. I mean, they've won 12 times. Um, Bones and Justin are good friends. Bones stepped in for Jimmy um, either last year or the year before at the Sony Open over in Hawaii. So he caddied for him before, but um, I mean, Jimmy is Justin's guy, and I think Bones was just happy to fill in, and we'll fill. Obviously, we'll fill in with the number one player in the world. Um, yeah. At any time. And by the way, this week at Harding Park will be the first time Bones has ever caddied for the number one player in the world. That's wild. After all that, after that whole run, this will be the first week. Yeah, he's going to be on the bag for a little bit. And not a nice little backup plan for JT to have. Be like, oh, my guy's down for a little bit? Why don't I just go, call, go ahead and call Bones, and he'll, he'll drop everything and come over real quick. Yeah, but some good things to see also last week. Uh, former world number one and major champion Brooks Kepka finally played some good golf, finished tied for second. Obviously an expensive double bogey on the last that cost him just over 455000 No big yeah. deal. You know, hey, this is standard. But hey, it was good to see him play well, rounding into shape for a major champion championship, trying to be the first person since 1927 to three-peat at the PGA Championship. That was Walter Hagen. So great to see Brooks play well and get ready for this major championship. Yeah, dude, it's been a long time since we saw Brooks play good. I mean, since the restart, the really only the only good week he's had was at Harbor Town. He had a top ten. He finished seventh down there. Uh, his iron play. I mean, he was. I was looking at the stats. He led the field in strokes gained approach. The best iron player out there. I thought his driver at times, especially a little bit yesterday, wasn't as good as we've seen Brooks. Obviously, when he's been winning the majors. But dude, just to have him back in contention at a big golf tournament. Shocking. I mean, it seems like we talk about it every year, but as soon as majors come around, Brooks seems to be, uh, you know, rounding into form. And he sent that tweet in or sent that tweet out last night, like coming in hot to Harding Park. Like, what is he a guy now? Like, even though he hasn't been what we've, you know, come to expect from Brooks Kepka in the last couple of months, is he's got to be a guy you got somewhat circled on the list going into Harding Park. Yeah, for sure. I think before last week, you probably honestly wouldn't just because of the form and him talking about his knee bothering him, how he can't trust his golf swing. But now, I mean, finishing tied for second, I mean, obviously should have finished second alone, had a chance. Um, he's got to be up there. And this is a big boy golf course. Um, I've played TPC Harding Park. I haven't been out there yet this week, but I've looked at the yardage book. It is big. It is narrow. Um, the rough is going to be long. But let me give you a couple stats on Brooks Kepka at the PGA Championship and, and majors in general. Since 2017, he's, got, he's the most under par of any player at, at major championships. He's... 70 under par. The next best, Ricky Fowler at 34 under par. Okay? That's 36 shots better in the majors. But let me tell you something. That's not the best ever to be 70 under in a three-year stretch. How about from 2000 to 2002, Tiger Woods, 92 under in the majors. 92 in majors. Phil Mickelson, next best, 63 shots behind. Okay. Well, 30 burger. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Pretty, pretty ridiculous. Dude, it's hard. Like, even if he was playing, if he hadn't played great last week, let's just say he finished 25th or something like that, I'd still somewhat have him just because he, he becomes a different animal at these majors for whatever reason. He's got that gift where he can just, like, turn it on. But this week, being that he looked good, he looked like the old Brooks, like you said, should have been an easy solo second for him. Makes a big number on the last hole. But, like, this week, now going into that, I think just a little shot of confidence more than anything, like to show himself that like, all right, there's some form there before I'm heading into this thing. Like he looked really good and he caught some really cold stretches with the putter too this past week. He had some really hot ones that first day. He was nails. Uh, he had some really good stretches, but he also caught some really cold, cold stretches in the, in the, in the middle of that tournament there too. So if he puts it like that, he, man, dude, he's a guy you got to start looking at, uh, even though he's only showed a little form. He worked with a new putting coach last week. He actually worked with Phil Kenyon. And if you watched some of the coverage last week, 
Brooks used to line it up in the toe quite a bit on his putts and then come over the top and hit the center. The ball was more in the center of the club face this week, so I don't know what exactly they worked on, but that's one thing I definitely noticed. But one more stat about Brooks Kepka in the majors. Since 2017, he has made $11.7 million in the majors. Number two, Jordan Spieth, 4.15. Jesus. So Brooks has been absolutely dominant in the major championships the last three years. Yeah, one of the best runs we've ever seen. And I noticed that that's f- interesting you said that about uh, working with a new putting coach because they had the little worm cam down there on a number of his putts. I was like, man, it looks like the you know it looks like the ball's in the middle of the club or the middle of the putter because you're used to seeing him line it up on the toe. Is that weird thing to change? Like, you know, I, I think he lines it what like a quarter ball outside the the center typically. Maybe not. I don't think it's quite a half ball, but just a little bit and it comes over the top and hits in the middle. Is that a pretty drastic adjustment for a guy that's putted like that for as long as I can remember to all of a sudden just be like, oh, I'll just put it in the middle this time. I honestly think it is quite a big adjustment. I mean, yeah, especially, it seems like it. yeah, it affects your alignment, affects everything. I mean, if you you put it in the center and you still have that little come over the top move, you're going to start hitting it in the heel. It's a totally different impact position. So. Yeah, big change, but I mean, heck, it worked. I mean, that putty made on 17 to get within one was, was was amazing. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he can bring to this golf course this week at Harding Park. Um, it, Like I said, it is a big boy golf course, hosted two World Golf Championship events. Tiger Woods won in 2005 in a playoff over our guy John Daly, which the rumor is John Daly took his 750000 runner-up check and spent it all in Vegas that night, as only John Daly would do. Um, and then, again, in 2015 – they had the world match play, and Roy McIlroy beat Gary Woodland, obviously two massive hitters of the golf ball um, in the finals there. And it's also hosted the 2009 President's Cup. Um, but like I said, I was going through the yardage book. I mean, you've seen these yardage books, please. Like, you know, there's there's yardages where all the sprinkler heads are, right? Well, this place has so many sprinkler heads outside where the fairways are. They've, they've brought the fairways in so much. Like, they're so narrow. There's All the yardages are, like, outside the fairways. And it's going to be interesting. If this place gets firm, Harding Park has a lot of dog legs where you can choose to, like, cut, cut across and stuff. And if you have to worry about running through, I think this place could play very, very difficult this week. There's only um, – the forecast only has one day of rain scheduled, which is great, and that's Wednesday. And from everything I'm seeing, the wind's supposed to be up quite a bit. So the place could be very, very challenging this week. I know you're going to get out there this week, but what do you expect, like, rough-wise? Is this thing going to be kind of, like, we've seen the PJ Championships in the past, uh, venues where they can do it, kind of play like a little mini U.S. Open. Like, it's not U.S. Open-type rough, but they're trying to make it, obviously, more penalizing than it would be at a regular PJ Tour venue. Do you th- is this rough? And at San Francisco, that rough just stays wet. It's a different beast than playing in some of the stuff these guys are used to playing. And do you see that rough getting up high to kind of deter some of these long guys from just taking driver out all day long? I, I hope so. Um, so I think I think it should, like you said, the weather in San Francisco. I mean, it's just perfect to grow really deep, nasty rough. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping it is. You know, people might look at the scorecard at Harding Park and see it's only seven thousand two hundred thirty-four yards, but it is a par seventy. And yeah, that yardage is short for today's standards. But in San Francisco, where the air is so heavy and the fog can roll in, that plays extremely long. Yeah, there's no place that I've ever played in the United States, and it's not even close, where the ball goes shorter than San Francisco. It's like, I mean, you're adding a club almost, I feel like, from even sea level, especially if the weather is cold. And what are you looking – let's talk about this because we got to talk about the the big fella, Tiger Woods. You know, he's only played one event in six months, which I think is tough. That's a tough ask for anyone to go up and show up at a major championship having played one competitive tournament in the last six months and go up there and have your best stuff. 
But weather-wise, is this thing? I mean, it's we said it's always cold there. How cold is it supposed to be? And what are we, what do you, what do you expect to see from Tiger this week, uh, given given the weather and the, the you know how little he's played? Yeah, so I can I can report he was on the ground Sunday. Actually, played a few holes with Jason Duffner. So that's pretty early for him to get to a major championship. But the weather, I mean, it looks like once the tournament starts on the Thursdays, the highs are in the very low 70s. Um, in the morning, you know, it's, it's high 50s, low 60s. But it just kind of depends on if the fog rolls in and if there's any wind. If the wind's up, it's going to be it's going to be chilly. But Tiger, I mean, obviously going to Stanford is very familiar with these type of weather conditions. Very familiar with these type of greens. Like I said, he won the WGC in 05. He went 5-0 and in the President's Cup in 2009. Never saw the 18th hole. Just dusted everyone. Um, I hope he's in good form. It's a it's a place that should be perfect for him. I think the driver is very, very key this week if the rough is up, which I'll be able to let you know later on today. Um, but but I'm excited to see what what he what he can bring to the table this week. Yeah, I mean these are these are the only events that really move the needle for him. I don't think he cares a whole lot about anything else at this point in his career. That's probably why he didn't play last week at the WGC. Are you surprised though that he didn't? play at the WGC given that he you know he played Jack's tournament he finished 40th it wasn't his best and the thing that I noticed more than anything watching him that week was how he looked around the greens like Tiger Woods probably the best putter we've ever seen in the game of golf at least since I've been old enough to know what's going on and he hit some putts that didn't just miss but they looked like they they were you wouldn't expect the ball to come off the blade of Tiger Woods putter when you saw some of these putts like I'm talking six eight footers it was like more than anything I feel like just competitive rust going from playing in Bermuda greens down in Medalist, down in South Florida, totally different than you get to Jack's event where the greens are arguably some of the toughest, most sloped on the PGA Tour. He looked really rusty around the greens. I mean, I know he's got to have a healthy back coming in or none of this matters, but shocked or surprised at all that he didn't at least give it a go last week at WGC where it's hot and humid and it shouldn't have really been an issue with the back. Yeah, I kind of thought he might play, but then at the same time, if he didn't feel 100% and he wanted another week to kind of get the back where he needed it to be, I understand. Um, But like you said about his putting, you know, that was a very tough week for him to come back after such a long, long break. Because when you're playing at home at Medalist, you don't have six footers that break six to eight inches outside the hole, stuff like that. You, I mean, the slower Bermuda, you hit him on the right edge and you hit him firm and you bang it in there. You know, this week being the seaside Poetta that he grew up on, that he knows very well, and Harding Park being, you know, it used to be a municipal golf course before it became a TPC, a public golf course. The greens are pretty flat. Um, it sets up very, very well for Tiger, in my opinion. It's just whether or not he has any form at all. Yeah, it's like I said, I know Tiger Woods is Tiger Woods. He's a different beast than anybody else on the planet. But one competitive tournament in the last six months, show up to a major championship and play against these guys that have been playing more or less the entire restart. That's a that's a tough, uh, tough ask for me. I'd love to see him work his way into contention. But I think things uh, I think all the stars kind of need to align at this point for him to to be there on a Sunday. But let me ask you about another guy that was there at the 2009 president's cup and also had a little resurgence this past week our boy phil coming in with a little t2 yesterday looked nice uh played his best round of golf that he's played at tpc southwind yesterday what are you expecting from phil is this a little shot in the arm that he needs to go out there and uh, try to make magic one last time at 50 it was it was awesome to see him play well um at a golf course i know he loves he loves tpc southwind he always loved playing there before the u.s open um in my mind if the if the rough is up at tpc harding park I just don't know if Phil can drive it consistently for four straight days. Um, now I know his short game's, you know, second to none, but I think it's just a tall ask for him to compete at, at a major championship, having to drive it as good. I mean, 
look, he's just trying to hit bombs. Like he said, he's dialed it back a little bit, I think. But for him to be consistent for four straight days, I think, is tough if the rough is up. Now, if the rough's not up, Phil can 100% compete, but it's still a very, very tall ask of Phil Mickelson. And, and Southwind is a course where you got to drive the ball straight, typically. Was it a little bit different this year watching the coverage? Like, it was pretty soft out there. Uh, the scores still weren't crazy low, but you could get away with missing some fairways and hitting some balls out of that Bermuda rough that would land on the green, stay on the green, that in years past I felt like, oh, that would have that gone over or that wouldn't have stayed on the green. It looked a little bit more forgiving in terms of that just based on how soft it was. Yeah, they played the ball up every single day. They had ball in hand in the yeah. fairways, which makes a huge difference, which obviously was – was a big key for Justin Thomas's chip on 18. But like I said, the rough, I mean, it looked decent, but it's a totally different animal compared to what you could face out here at, at Harding Park. I mean, the, the Bermuda grass, you know, is jumpy and all this. This could be thick, lush, where you honestly might have to just chop it out in the fairway on a lot of holes. Um, so I'm interested to see what it looks like out there because I think that'll really – you'll be able to figure out who kind of are the favorites, who will play well around this place this week, but uh, I'm excited to get it going. It's been a long time since we had a major, like you said, 54 weeks. And, um, you know, we're just a few days away. Yes, I cannot wait. It'll be so nice to have a little major championship golf back, fire some shitty bets like I like to do, and uh, just roll the dice all week. But let's talk about one guy. We got to hit on this guy because he's going for the career grand slam, Mr. Jordan Spieth. He just finished T30 in in Memphis. Uh, I think he shot final round plus one yesterday, so it wasn't his best stuff ever. But chasing the career Grand Slam, odds for Justin Tom. I'm sorry, odds for Jordan Spieth this week. You like this golf course for him? You expect anything? You know, I'm obviously a huge Jordan Spieth fan. I want to see him do well, and um, it'd be amazing to see him get the career Grand Slam. I don't think this place sets up very well for Jordan, just considering how much he struggled with the driver this year. Um, like I said. From what I've seen in the yardage book, it looks like they brought these fairways in a ton. Um, you know, you're really going to have to control your ball off the tee, and that's just something he's not doing that great right now. But the way Jordan puts it, the way he scrambles around the greens, anything is possible. And, I mean, he's one of the biggest bulldogs on the PGA Tour, and when, when the gun goes off in a major championship, he seems to always stick his nose out there. Yeah, that putter, definitely the X factor. Anywhere he goes, regardless of how he hits it, if that thing's working, he can he can put up scores. And then the other – Guy we haven't mentioned yet, who I guess the hype's died down a little bit, I guess, after the last couple of weeks when he first came out, Bryson, who's who's apparently tried to drive the 18th green more or less yesterday, which uh, I saw where he was dropping his ball. Did you see that? He he was like dropping over behind the FedEx Cup sign, which I was like, what? Where did he go? And then I saw a picture later on on Twitter. I was like, he literally tried to drive it majority of the way over the lake, which we didn't see on TV, but I would have liked to see it. But here's the here's his first crack, dude. The Bryson 2.0, you know, send it, unleash the crack and all that shit that he's talking about. You mentioned the fairways being narrow, but this golf course, you know, based on what we saw at the match play, Woodland, Rory, there's the two finalists, long boy, long boy, long ball hitter uh, type of golf course. Bryson's got to be licking his chops, I would think, in a setup like this. Yeah, in a place like Harding Park where there's not like a ton of penalty areas or out of bounds or anything like that. Like, I mean, you can get away with. Granted, you'll be in rough, but you can spray it. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if he smashes down there and has wedge in every hole, you know, it, it, it might work. I don't know. It just all depends on how, how firm they can get these greens. But I'm very excited to see Bryson's first attempt at a major championship with this newfound Kraken or whatever the hell you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, this is the whole reason that he did this. He's like, I want to win major championships. And by the way, like, we can say what he – I thought he hit a couple squirrely ones this past week, some that were a little more offline than we're used to seeing. But, by the way, he's number one on tour in strokes gained uh, uh, driving. 
He's number one. So, I mean, you can you can say what you want about it, but right now there's nobody gaining more strokes off the tee than Bryson DeChambeau, and that's typically a pretty good uh, formula going into really anywhere, but especially majors. So looking forward to see what he's got. It's going to be very exciting to watch. And I, when you watch the PJ Championship this week, I really want you to pay attention to the last six holes. Those are key. That's where Lake Merced starts to come into play a little bit. But over the last six, there's three par fours that are over 460. Now, 460, like we said, in San Francisco plays a lot longer than 460 in Scottsdale or anywhere else. But there's two very short par fours. The 16th is possibly going to be drivable. It's 336 from all the way back. I would imagine they move that up or up a little bit. And then on the 17th, you got a short par three that's always tricky because the wind's around the lake. and only plays 170 yards to the middle of the green. And then 18 is demanding, 480. It's a beautiful hole. Lake Merced to the left. One of the ones where you can just – it'll be interesting where like a guy like Bryson tries to hit it because you can just bite off as much as you want as long as you can carry it over 320 yards. But the last six are going to be so exciting to watch, and I think that is going to be the key to the golf tournament this week. And what else would be exciting to watch? And I am begging for this, and I know a lot of people in the golf world are begging for this. What are the chances we get a Bryson-Brooks pairing heading into Harding Park? The whole world wants it. This is entertainment. We got the first major in 54 weeks. I personally would love to see it. They've been throwing jabs back and forth. You had Bryson with the whole ant debacle this week, trying to get relief. He's pointing out one or two ants that are walking around. Bryson or um, Brooks, you know, hits in the trees a couple of days later. He's like, oh, here's an ant. I need to drop. And, you know, kind of poking fun at, at, at Bryson and all this. Any chance we get to see a Bryson uh, Brooks pairing at Harding Park? There is a chance. Um, I just don't know if the PGA of America will do it just because they don't want to have to answer questions before the tournament even starts. Like, why did, so why did y'all pair these two together or making a big deal about this pairing? And honestly, even if they do get paired together, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, they're not going to fist fight on the eighth tee. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, the people out there want to want to see something crazy happen. But you know, these two guys are golfers. They're not going to throw down or they're not going to be talking trash to each other, walking down the fairway in a major championship. That's just not going to not going to happen. But hell, put them together. It'll be it'll be something to talk about. Yeah, people want it. Put them together. We get very few rivalries or people even going back and forth on social media or in the media in general. Put them together. We don't get to see this very often. So I know I'd love to see it. Like you said, there's not going to be a fist fight on the on the 12th tee or something like that. But it would be awkward, and it would be it would make for fun TV watching those two guys after all the back and forth they've been trading for the for the past few weeks or whatever it's been. Yeah, but it's going to be obviously very very exciting. 95 of the top 100 in the world. There's actually been quite a few withdrawals very recently. A lot of people with health concerns about COVID, um, some injuries. I know VJ Singh was banged up. John Daly withdrew. Podrick Harrington. Brendan Grace, Francesco Molinari opted not to play. Uh, but still, 95 of the top 100 in the world. Always one of the strongest fields of the year. And probably one of the toughest to bet just because there's so many great players. But we're going to get into our gambling segment now. And we need producer Mark to chime in and let us know how last week went. And um, what's the total now? All right, guys. Well, the good news is there was no cut. So you didn't have your A pick there. Missed this week. Would have, would have missed the cut, yep. But Staying cold. The bad news is he was tied for your best finish with Tommy Fleetwood, Patrick Cantley, that is. T35 is the best. Chicken. All right, cu- couple top 40s Yeah, for my A guys, no big deal. And then a T52 out of Leishman, <laughs> T49. What We're getting there. Oh, okay, keep going. Yeah, uh, and then all of a sudden we have Colt on the other side who got a, a T, T2 out of Daniel Berger. And had a nice backdoor finish from Abraham Answer after his 75 in the second round. People sort of forgot he was playing, which means that we do have a new leader. 
up $526,000. Damn, was that like a million dollar swing last week or close to it? Close to 900,000? 700. 700. All right. I sense this coming. My guys have been, I haven't been coaching them up properly. I'm going to put that, I'm going to wear that. I'm going to put that on my shoulders. Um, I could sense it coming. Didn't know it was that big. Forgot Daniel Berger grabbed a piece of that T2. So uh, here we go, dude. We're getting to the nitty gritty and uh, big purse this week. So you got you got the honor still. So I'm gonna let you go ahead and fire it off. Yeah, and just for the people out there, there's not many weeks left in this season. We have this week. We have the Wyndham Championship, and then three FedEx Cup playoff events, and then someone's gonna be carrying someone's bag around Whisperock Golf Club. And it's gonna still be hotter and shit at that time. Well, we don't have to do it like the day after the tour championship. Yeah, yeah, good point. We'll defer to the first day under 95. So just five weeks remaining. And this is a big week. Obviously a huge purse over $10 million. And with the first pick in the first major of this season, I'm going to go with someone that's going to surprise you, I think. Oh, boy. I'm going to go with a guy that is very familiar with the area. Another guy that just strikes it, honestly, probably better than any guy on the PGA Tour, at least up there. And for my favorite, he's coming in at 22 to 1, and that's Colin Morikawa. Oh, I thought it was going to be mine. Okay, it was close. I, 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 I did, he was not from the, the area in general, but uh, I do not hate that pick whatsoever. 22 to 1, when you threw that out, you had me sweating a little bit. But yeah, uh, poke a hole in that game, too. I mean, you, I guess you could point at the putter and say maybe it's not elite yet, but doesn't matter when you hit it to 12 feet on damn near every hole. It doesn't have to be too uh, too good. So, all right, Colin Morikawa. I think he's going to be a popular pick, even though he's 22-1, to 1, going back to the Bay Area for his uh, first major. All right, I'm going in here. I'm going also 22-1. to 1. So we're leaving all the big guys alone. No JT, no Bryson, no Rom, no none of these guys. I'm going 22-1. to 1. I'm going with a man named Xander Schauffele. He's got one finish outside the top 20 in his last six starts since the restart. Okay, one finish outside top 20. Coming off sixth last week at Memphis, doing exactly what he does, playing well, getting no credit. He's definitely under the radar. He's not one of the guys that everyone's talking about. But T to green, same type of deal. And I also love him. The bigger the golf tournament, I, the more I like him to show up. And he's playing just well enough without getting all the attention right now. So I'll go Xander. We got two 22 to ones in our first two picks. Two guys with very similar games, in my opinion. Very, yeah, I would I would totally agree. All right, and I'm going to lead off no this. No Rory, no Bryson, no Rom, no JT. <laughs> Kepka, yeah. Tiger, nope. Just straight to people, the ones. People listening at home like these guys are freaking idiots, bro. How about JT? It maybe sounds pretty good right now. Yeah, we're idiots. That's what we do, and we will find out. I'm going a little more chalk here in my 25 to 50 to 1 pairing. Uh, this is the guy that, that ranked the highest in terms of those odds. I'm going Webb Simpson, 28 to 1, 12th last week in Memphis, having one of the best, if not the best, 2020 seasons. So far, two wins, six top tens on the year, drives it straight, just kind of, you know, gets it around. Nothing flashy, but seems to play well every week. I got to have a, I got to have more of a, a safe play here in the middle tier. So I got Webb at 28 to 1. Yeah, I think his odds would be lower if he had his trusty bag man, Paul Tesori, on the bag. Yeah, he's 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 playing without the without the normal loop this week, but uh, his game seems to be on autopilot more or less. Like, there's not a lot of bad that goes on. Part there. of that team that's going to be tough. Uh, not to hate on your pick a little bit, but with me, for me, my second pick, I'm going with a guy. Just his third week back since the COVID nineteen break, continues to get better, knocks a little rust off week after week. Guy who I think drives it as good as anybody, hits it out of the middle of the club face. It seems like every single time. Thirty three to one, Tommy. Fleetwood. Can't say anything bad about uh, English Jesus. 
He's good. He always looks good. Drives it incredible. And by the way, I was looking at the match play from back in the day. He was, uh, when they had the WGC match play here, he was the number 54 seed last time. No one had even heard of the guy. And now he's he's knocking on the door for majors. So, yeah, he seems to fit the mold. I look for him to do big things. He's going to win a major at some point, in my opinion. Absolutely. He's just too question. All right. Here we go. The outside of 50 to 1 picks for the third pick. We're going with the guy that finished T6 last week in Memphis. One of the best swings on the planet. A guy that shows up in big tournaments, two-time major winner, Louis Ustazen. Okay. We're gonna I'm gonna need to go back to the drawing board. That was one of mine. Yeah, I had that that was one of them. And uh, I was hoping you weren't gonna pick him first because I was gonna snatch I was hoping you were maybe saving him for your second pick. I was gonna snatch him up. So I'm gonna have to go back to the drawing board here. Pick out a second guy. That's a good pick. I like it. Get a major championship. Get, get a major champion winner there in the, in the 50 plus category. I'm going to go a little further down the list here and a guy 80 to 1, top 10 in his last two starts, sixth last week in Memphis. Probably doesn't get his enough pub for just how good he is. Top 20 in the world golf rankings, which was somewhat surprising to me because he gets zero love. But Matthew Fitzpatrick at 80 to 1, going to ride the hot hand a little bit right now. So I like his form going in. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that's who my fourth pick was. <laughs> so, and the good news is these two are allowed to match up. So they are allowed to match up. Do you, do you want to do that or do you want to fire off? Do you want to go? Uh, well, to be honest, I don't have any other information in front of me other than Matthew Fitzpatrick. So neither I do I. Neither do I. Yeah. So I kind of got to go with him as well. 80 to 1. Like I said, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. Sixth in, sixth in Memphis, third at Memorial. He's a guy that plays tough golf courses. So, so well. I mean, if you look back, the two hardest final rounds on the PGA Tour this year were Bay Hill and the Memorial. Um, the two lowest rounds shot that day. There was only two rounds in those two tournaments shot under 70. Matthew Fitzpatrick has them both. I just love him in, in tough. I don't know if he can win, but I think he's a guy that could just sneaky slide into the top 10 and, and make a lot of money for you out there. Exactly. Yeah. And he came out, he, he doubled number 16 yesterday, would have had a little finish, a little higher finish than that. Yes. It was sloppy, sloppy little double there on 16, but just a guy that's another guy under the radar, doesn't get enough love. He's 18th in the world right now. And he's not even mentioned ever in any of these things. So, all right, I guess our bottom tier guys, will just, we'll just cancel out this week since it's a little different week. We don't have all the information in front of us there, but uh, to recap, on the top tier, I got Mr. Xander Shoffley at 22 to 1. Middle tier, Webb Simpson, 28 to 1. Yep. And then our back two are Matt. I can't believe that we both have Fitzpatrick and Louis Ustazen. Out of the whole list, it's like the whole field is down there. Yeah. But my favorite, Colin Morikawa, 22 to 1. And then English Jesus, Tommy Fleetwood, bringing it in at 33 to 1. It's going to be a lot of fun, Sleaze. I'm going to be out there. Make sure you tune in to ESPN early in the morning each day and hear my beautiful voice. Hopefully they won't show my face, but you'll be able to hear hear me following with one of the featured groups out there. You got to get – somehow you got to squeeze – I know that the, you might not have as much rope to play with right now, but just a couple five to ten subpar shout-outs during the broadcast will be – that will be that will suffice. I will do my best to make that happen. But well, we hope everybody enjoys the first major of the year, the PGA Championship out at TPC Harding Park. It is a very busy week for me, Sleazy. Uh, even in the practice rounds, I'll be out there walking with some of the groups. And I've heard one of our favorite people, Scott Van Pelt, he's going to be hosting Sports Center live from the PGA Championship. He's going to be shooting it down to me for some inside info, what's going on out there in the practice rounds. So I'm going to be all, all over the TV all week, even Saturday, Sunday, early round coverage um, before CBS hits the air. I'll be out there for ESPN um, following some of the, 
the biggest names, featured groups and stuff like that. And then at night, you'll definitely get to see the face. Each mm. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, CBS Sports post-game report with Kelly Tillman and Rich Beam. I will be on the air discussing all the action from TPC Harding Park and the PGA Championship. Yes, get the get the legend, Mr. Beam, in there. Maybe y'all have a couple of pops before the show just to loosen up, you know, like we do it here on Subpar. You don't want to be tight going into the camera, you know? I you know? totally agree. He has to play this week. I don't, so I can have a few. But um, I'm looking forward to, to working with him and Kelly Tillman, who's making her return to TV after a two-and-a-half-year break. She is she's one of the best in the business. But we hope everyone out there enjoys the PGA Championship. It's going to be a lot of fun. You're not going to want to miss any of the action. Now it's time to open up the mailbag. Some of our loyal listeners submitted some questions. Producer Mark, what do we got this week? All right. This one's for both of you guys. Victor Dirks on Twitter wants to know, what's the most pressure you've ever felt over one shot or putt? And then what was the result after that shot or putt? Ooh, I got one. I got one. Uh, this was my sixth, I believe. Yeah, sixth stint at Q School. I'm at second stage for like the fourth or fifth time. I'd whiffed every single year at second, never made it through. This year, I'm playing. This last year, I'm playing Wells in Houston. It was Arctic temperatures. I'm wearing like a face gaiter. I'm not bullshitting. It was like as cold as I've ever been playing golf in Houston. Record temperatures with about. With about three holes left, I got what I figured to be a three-shot cushion on what we expected the number to be. I parred 16, so I'm going into 17. Or I'm sorry, I had about a two-shot cushion. I can make two bogeys in the last three. Parred 16, I'm like, perfect. I can go bogey-bogey and get in the house, and I'm going to get through second stage finally. 16, long par three with a lake left. I bail to the front right of the green. I have like a 50-footer. What do I do, of course? Three putt. All right, no, no harm, no foul. It's cool. You still got one to play with, dude. Make a bogey on 18, and it's done. So I hit this little squid out there to the right side of the fairway, dog leg left. I have forever into the green, and I contemplated just laying up. I was like, dude, just lay it up to 50 yards, wedge it on, and make a bogey and be done. But I went for the green. My ball lands on the right side, barely trickles into the bunker. One foot in, one foot out of the bunker, Colt. And I'm staring at this forest behind the green. I'm like, dude, I could easily knife this thing into the middle of the woods, make a nine. This is the dumbest shit I've ever done. Why didn't I lay up? I leave the ball in the bunker. And now it rolls up the bank, rolls back down. Now I have a flat lie in the bunker. And now I have to get up and down all of a sudden to get out of second stage of Q school. And my mind's going absolutely crazy i'm like dude you're gonna butcher this with a double on the last this will be the end of golf i'll quit if i double bogey this hole and don't get out of q school flick it up there what what's that yeah it'll be the end of golf for me yeah end of golf for me i don't really care about everybody else dude this story this story is all about me so i get in the bunker and i'm that's all i'm thinking about dude so i flick it up there i hit a good shot i got about five and a half six feet left meanwhile the other two guys in my group are just butchering this hole they were already out of it they're taking forever so i got like five minutes to sit and think about this six footer I finally get up there, get over the putt. I can't even feel the putter in my hand, and everything in my brain is all the wrong shit. I'm like, dude, this is for everything. If you mess this up, you're the biggest loser of all time. I end up making it, so I'm pretty sure I get in. I get in. Uh, it turns out a guy who was ahead of me, pretty pretty far clear of the number, shot a million, and so the, the, the number moved actually one stroke higher, so I ended up making it with one-shot cushion, but I thought that putt was to get through at second stage and uh, turned out I had one to play with, but I was pretty positive at the time that I needed it and somehow it went in. And then I proceeded to shoot 8 million at final stage. So it didn't really matter, but that was it. <laughs> that is some of the worst mental game. Shit it's I've not, ever. it's, I mean, Rotella could probably work with me a little bit on that. I don't know if it's ideal. Dude, ideal. Still make it like, come on, dude. dude awesome. I know I should have laid up, but I'm an idiot. So I didn't, I went for the glory. I have, I have a lot of them. I mean, obviously I think pressure is different, whether it's pressure to, you know, maybe make a cut or pressure to win a golf tournament. Um, there's totally different levels of pressure, but probably the most nervous I've ever been 
on a golf shot was at the 2016 uh, Players' Championship. I was tied for second with two holes to play, going over to the Island Green 17th, which, you know, we've all seen so many disasters happen there and all this. And I, knew, I was two shots back with two holes to play of Jason Day. And it was 130 yards. It was a perfect pitching wedge. And I told myself I was going to go right at it. I was shaking, ting the ball up. I was shaking, holding the club um, over the ball. And then I remember I got to the top of my backswing and like, it felt like I told myself a story at the top of my backswing. I was like, Oh, Nope. Yeah. If you hit this in the water, you're going to lose about $300,000. You're going to look like an absolute idiot. So why don't we just go ahead and come over the top and pull this into the middle of the green, which is what I proceeded to do. Ended up about 30 feet left of the hole and I was able to two putt it down the hill and make par. But it was crazy how many thoughts in that split second at the top of my backswing went through my head. Um, I don't wish that shot upon anyone. It's, it's crazy. I don't care if you have a six shot lead, like with all those people around with all the money, all the FedEx cut points and everything on the line. Uh, I don't care who you are. You're going to be nervous. It sucks. And then you have to suck it up and go to 18 and try to hit that fairway. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It's just, it's something I really don't miss. I hate feeling like I'm going to throw up over a shot, especially with a pitching wedge. Um, but, but still a lot of fun and, and great question. So what do we got next, Producer Mark? All right. Besides short game, what really separates great amateur golfers from the guys on the Jickies to the guys on the PGA Tour? He has a couple suggestions throughout their course management or consistency, but what do you guys think? Well, I think with Sleaze's last answer, you could probably just replay that and figure it out pretty easily. Um, yeah, I don't know if you caught question one, but that might be a pretty decent example. <laughs> the perfect uh, perfect example right there of the difference. I mean, Sleaze was absolutely panicking, thinking about how he could finish bogey-bogey, where I think the guys, um, top players in the world, are kind of just focused on the shot at hand and not getting too far ahead of themselves. But yeah, that, and I, I agree course management. I mean, um, you know, I've, I've played two jickies now watching some of the things these guys do. It's, it's pretty interesting. And you just, you see guys that are the t best players in the world. They just don't make those kind of mistakes on the golf course. They never seem to make really, really bad decisions, which is what I think is key out there. Yeah, definitely mental is the first thing that would come to mind like everybody starts off when you turn pro you all started off at the same place someone's got to get through q school you got to play well at the right times and the guys that belong out there are the guys that deserve to get out there sack up and play well at the right times and the guys who don't don't and i think there's a lot of guys who never get a shot at the pga tour or maybe just there briefly who are plenty like physically talented enough to go out there and play on the pga tour but just don't have the right mental to get out there and i think the other big differentiator is I know a lot of guys that I played with on the Corn Ferry Tour, mini tours, things like that, that when their game was good, when they were clicking, they were as good as anybody that I could, you know, that I've ever played with more or less in the game of golf, minus like, you know, the top 10, 20, 30 players in the world. They were really, really good. Their good golf was great, but it's how good is your bad golf? And good players learn how to take a C day, you know, have their C game out there and shoot one or two under and kind of hang around and have a chance to make a cut. Whereas a lot of the guys that don't ever get out, a chance to get out there, have their bad stuff, have a C game and shoot a 75. And that's the difference right there. One guy's competing to play on the weekend. The other guy's done. And uh, it's learning how to, how can you make your bad days still decent? And I think that's what great players do. Guys that get on the PJ tour do. And that's what guys who are win a bunch of mini tour events and play on the corn Ferry tour don't do uh, as well as those guys. Those will be the two things that come to mind for me. Okay, one more for you guys. Before we get there, that last question came from Backcountry Rebels on Instagram. This next one is from Hunter Ritchie 1797 also on Instagram. And he wants to know, take it back to 18 years old, head-to-head, -head, 
who's winning on the course, Colt or the sleazy man? At age 18? 18. Colt, why don't you go? I can see you, I can see you foaming at the mouth right now. Go ahead. These question, this question is just ridiculous. It's, a, it's an easy answer. I agree. Obviously. I would. Boat right. uh, I, I believe we were both our freshman year in college then. Um, we could probably go back and dig up the records. They did have the internet back in 2003 still. And, I mean, I was conference freshman of the year. Um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see Sleaze's name up there on much, much of that stuff. Mm. Mm. First of all, yeah, we did compete at the Fort Worth Men's City Amateur. We could probably go back and find those records. Secondly, in terms of head-to-head, we'll never be head-to-head. It's more like head-to-chin or head-to-shoulder at the most, I think, like that. Um, but uh, at 18... I mean, Colt was like, the, you were number one coming out of college. Uh, so at the end of college, I, it's a no-brainer. At 18, I probably still lose, but you know what? I bet I had a, I bet I, uh, I bet I had a good time that night. Whatever, whenever that thing got done, I still bet I was leading the tournament. Strokes gained, transfusions consumed. So Under uh, eight drinking. Um, Wait, hopefully we don't have any young listeners out there, Sleaze. Oh, yeah, that was at 18. I was just kidding around. I wasn't doing that back then. I was just concentrated on my books. All about the books at that time. Well, got in the way of my golf. Yeah, thank you so much for the questions. Keep those coming. They're a lot of fun. Um, and they can be – they don't have to be just about golf. They can be about anything. We we, we love answering those. But, Sleaze, this has been a lot of fun. Different for us. Obviously, we're in different parts of the world right now, so it's tough to tough to do the show. But it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun talking about the PGA Championship. Make sure everybody tunes in. It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll get to hear this voice. You don't want to miss that. But next week, we're back. Regularly scheduled programming, special guest, golf channel analyst and broadcaster, Aaron Oberholzer will be with us in studio. It's a lot of fun. Everyone have a great week. We'll talk to you next week on Golf Subpar. 